Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, July 30th, 2017. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it began in 1982. NBC's Thursday night primetime television lineup had such blockbuster hits as Fame, Cheers, Taxi, and Hill Street Blues. Anybody uh, remember any of those shows? Loved them all, but I was a huge Hill Street Blues fan as a kid. And all throughout my life, I've kept the saying, hey, let's be careful out there, right? Uh, And then they added more Emmy-winning shows like The Cosby Show, Family Ties, Night Court, L.A. Law. And then in the 90s, they came up with a catchy title, Must See TV, for Thursday nights. And they rolled out such shows like Mad About You, Wings, Friends, Frasier, Seinfeld, and E.R. Jody and I were big fans of all of these. In the early 90s, I was in seminary on the East Coast. And there's one thing I always remember from the hospital drama, besides the fact that George Clooney uh, started on that. Every week before a new episode aired, even before the opening title and the theme song came on, we would see this. Previously on ER. Now, maybe it was a storytelling convention that it, that it had happened in, you know, over the years, but that's the first time I ever paid attention to that. And they would tell you all the things that happened uh, from previous shows so that you'd be up to speed, right? Well, I tell you this because I need to do previously on the book of Esther. Uh, Last week, we started a sermon series just two weeks long called For Such a Time as This. And we're looking at the story of Esther that comes from the book of Esther. Um, As we saw last last week, Esther is a story that's equivalent of the Bible's telenovela. Uh, It's such a soap opera. So here's what happened previously on the book of Esther. In the Persian Empire, King Ahasuerus ruled over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. And the one thing that the king was really, really good at was throwing parties. Well, and then drinking at the parties that he's thrown, right? And after one excessively long string of parties, he summons his queen, Queen Vashti, to come and uh, parade in front of he and his buddies. Well, when she refuses, he has her banished from the kingdom. His advisors cook up this idea of having a beauty pageant in order to help the king choose his next queen. Young virgins are brought from all over the 127 provinces, and uh, including an orphaned Hebrew girl named Esther. She had been raised by her cousin Mordecai. Uh, Mordecai loved Esther as if she was his own daughter, and he remained in contact with her all throughout the selection process. Everyone who saw her was drawn to Queen Esther. There was something about her that just, she had it. And the, queen, and the king noticed it as well. And she, out of all the women, was named to be the next queen. Well, meanwhile, the king promoted Haman to be his second in command and gave the ruling that whenever he walked, everyone had to bow down before him, which everyone did except Esther's adopted father, Mordecai. And this uh, ruffled Haman's feathers so much that he devised a plan not just to punish uh, Mordecai, but to kill every Jewish person in the entire empire on the 13th day of the 12th month. 
If you'd like more details, you can go to our website and listen on to, to last sermons, uh, or last week's sermon. But we're going to pick back up in the Bible. If you want to grab the Bibles, the Pew Bible in front of you or take out your, your cell phone and open up your Bible app, we're going to be at the book of Esther, chapter 4. We're going to start the beginning of chapter 4. Esther is about a third of the way through the Bible, just before uh, Job and the book of Psalms. Esther, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. When Mordecai learned that all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went throughout the city wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. There are times in one's life where you have to stand up to injustice. Uh, Decisions have been made, no matter where the decisions arise from, that you know in your heart that you can't stand by and let this happen. Such was the case for Mordecai. And hearing the news that all of his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters were going to be annihilated, he knew he had to do something. So in traditional Jewish fashion, he dresses in sackcloth. He puts ashes upon his head. This was a way in biblical days that they mourned in ancient Israel. It's a way of appealing to God uh, for divine intervention. Now, think of the, 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 sack, the sack races, the burlap sack that you have, and imagine wearing that as your clothing. Very scratchy and itchy, very uncomfortable. That was the purpose, that you're willingly wearing something that's uncomfortable uh, and putting yourself in a little bit of a difficult uh, spot in order to appeal to God to be your help. And then he went around the city wailing and weeping and crying out, Uh, And he finished right at the king's gate, because that's as far as he could get. Verse 4. When Esther and her maids and her eunuchs uh, came, and when Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Now remember, Mordecai has told Esther, don't reveal your ethnic heritage. We don't know why. Uh, But he had given her that instruction. So maybe the queen thought that Mordecai's distinctively Jewish actions of wearing sackcloth and ashes and and going around the city wailing would undermine her own persona as queen. Or maybe she just hated to see him suffer and to be in, in pain and anguish. She had no idea why he was doing that. She tried to get him to change his tactics, but he would not be swayed. So she sends her servant, Hatach, uh, to try and talk some sense into Mordecai, who's still out at the king's gate. And what follows is a series of junior high pass the notes, where Haytatch is the guy that's passing a note from one to the other and back and forth. Mordecai tells Esther about the decree that has been issued by Haman, and he begs Esther to plead with the king to try to reverse this impending atrocity. Esther reminds Mordecai, uh, uh, in the words of sort of um, uh, the Lord of the Rings, one does not simply just walk in to the king if one has not been summoned, because it would be immediate death. Unless, of course, the king extends his scepter of mercy. And besides, Esther said, I haven't seen the king in over 30 days. Verse 12. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them uh, to reply to Esther, Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. You may have remembered last week that I mentioned uh, Esther is one of only two books of the Bible that don't specifically mention the name of God in it. 
And yet, to me, these words by Mordecai are just soaked in God. This powerful statement, he acknowledges all of Esther's past pain and the future possibilities. Disaster is coming. It's coming to all of the Jewish people, he says. But deliverance, help, salvation, presumably by the hand of God, will come. However, and here's where I I found the true power of the book. It could be that everything that's happened to you, Esther, has brought you to this place for just such a time as this. You've heard me say it before, but I'm not a proponent of the phrase, everything happens for a reason. I think things happen uh, because of choices we make or choices that other people make, and then we have to face the repercussions of what those choices were. But I do believe, and I echo what Paul said in the book of Romans, that God can take anything that happens in our lives and turn it into something good. So the cancer bout that we've just gone through, the heartbreak, the loss of a relationship, the pink slip we were tendered at work, the family challenges that we've endured. When, when faced with difficult situations in life, instead of getting depressed or angry or frozen by fear, could it be, perhaps, that God has brought us to this point in our life for just such a time as this? How does Esther respond? Verse 17, 15 to 17. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. And after that I will go to the king, even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So when faced with this impending disaster, Esther chooses first to turn to God, to spend time in prayer to looking for God's direction and guidance and strength. And she's going to pray and she's going to fast, practice self-denial, but not by herself, not only with her maids, but she asked Mordecai to get all of the community of faith in and around Susa, her church family, if you will. We're stronger when we pray together, when we lift up each other's needs in community. And then she said, whatever happens, happens. And if I die, then so be it. You see, she knows what is right. She cannot just sit by and let Haman get away with this evil plan that he has devised. And this is the moment in the story that Esther literally moves from just being a beauty queen to being actually a savior, a salvific force in this story. When the three days of fasting and praying are over, she approaches the king. A move that could cost her her life. Esther chapter 5, verse 2. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won his favor, and he held out to her the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the top of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you even up to half of my kingdom. This is the pattern we've seen throughout the whole story, isn't it? Wherever Esther goes, no matter what's happening, people like her. God's favor is upon her, and so, again, in this place, she is not annihilated. It could have happened. She's not killed. The king extends the hand, uh, the scepter of grace, and he offers her, without even knowing what she's asking, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. By the way, this is the first time in the entire story that the narrator refers to Esther as Queen Esther. I think it's it's, 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 uh, it's because she's acting very queenly here, right? She's interceding on behalf of a portion of her people who are about to be destroyed. Verse 4. Then Esther says, If it pleases the king, 
Let the king and Haman come today to a banquet that I have prepared for the king. Now, we saw last week how much the king loves a good banquet, a good feast. Is there going to be drinking? I'm there, the king would say. Uh, So she invites he and his right-hand man, Haman, to come later that day to a feast. You know the phrase, uh, the, the pathway to a man's heart is through his stomach. Totally must have been the case. Uh, or, or maybe she just knew her husband, right, after however many years of, of being together. Well, when the banquet was prepared, the king again asked Esther, All right, so tell me, I've been wanting to know, what is it that you want to ask? I'll give you up to half the kingdom, he says. Verse 7. Then Esther said, This is my petition and request. If I have won the king's favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to another banquet tomorrow that I will prepare for them. And then I will do as the king has said. We already know that the king likes to throw back-to-back parties. Why not back-to-back feasts, Esther thinks? And we have to wonder, is she just stalling now? Is she like, maybe she hasn't quite figured out how she's going to ask the king for the lives of her people? Or could it be that maybe God is at work behind the scenes, helping to orchestrate so that everything happens just at the right time that it needs to? Well, As you might imagine, getting invited to -to back-to-back banquets by the queen left Haman feeling pretty good about himself. As he was leaving the royal palace, he had a song in his heart and a spring in his step, and everywhere he went, people were bowing down, except for one guy, Mordecai. And how is it that one person can just ruin your whole day? By the time he got home, he was so upset. He'd had this amazing experience, but it was all ruined by Mordecai, and he told his wife and his friends how frustrated he was. He was. Verse 14. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then you can go with the king to the banquet in good spirits. This advice pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. Yeah, nothing puts you in the mood for a good dinner like a good hanging, right? Uh, You know, isn't it ironic that in a kingdom where it was declared way back in chapter 1 that every man should be the king of his own castle or the king, the master of his old household, here it's a woman that's taking the lead in Haman's family, giving him directions on what to do? As we mentioned last week, instead of actually hanging on the gallows like a hangman's noose, really the Hebrew word means uh, a giant pole that people would be impaled on like a skewer. And 50 cubits would be the equivalent of a seven-story building today. I mean, that is a really big pull. Now, remember, Mordecai is already a condemned man. When the 13th day of the 12th month rolls around, he is going to get it, just like every other Jewish person in the community, in the, in the, in the whole kingdom. But Haman can't wait that long. He wants to get him right now, and so he makes his big shish kebab. And then we have the next God moment in this story, which supposedly never mentions God by name, right? That very night, the king is having trouble sleeping. We've all been there. Maybe it was something you ate. Maybe it's something that's uh, keeping you up, the, the stress, the troubles of life. What does the king do when he can't sleep? Does he turn on Netflix and binge watch old ER shows? Does he go to the royal kitchen and get a whole tray of brownies to kind of help him? Uh, Does he call a few of his ladies from the royal harem to pass the time away? No, no. The king decides to read. And I'm guessing he wants the most boring book they have in the kingdom to help him fall asleep, which turns out to be the book of the record of the king. 
So while Haman is outside having the seven-foot, uh, seven-story uh, skewer built in his courtyard, the king is having the royal records read to him. And what does he happen to come across but an incident a while back when an assassination plot against him was uncovered by some unknown guy named Mordecai? Esther chapter 6, verse 3. Then the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed upon Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, uh, nothing has been done for him. And we were wondering back in chapter 2, why didn't the king honor him right away after something as big as an assassination plot was uncovered? Well, now in chapter 6, we realize because it wasn't the right time. We're waiting for God's time. The Hebrew people would call this a kairos moment, a God moment. And the perfect time now is when he needs to be honored. Well, it just so happens that by this time, morning has broken, and uh, Haman has finished uh, his big spike, and he's coming in to ask the king permission to kill Mordecai. But we know that the king is thinking, hmm, I want to honor this guy named Mordecai. Things are getting good. Verse 6. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What shall be done for the man to whom the king wishes to honor? And Haman thought to himself, Who would the king wish to honor more than me, right? How ironic. He is so full of himself, the only possible explanation is, Boy, the king just keeps giving me good stuff. This is amazing. Obviously, he wants me to pick out my own reward. All right, let's see what should I ask for. Um, let's start with how about wearing one of the king's royal robes. And then maybe uh, riding one of the king's royal horses that the king himself has ridden before. And then how about a royal crown? The Hebrew is unclear as to whether he was asking for a crown for him or for the horse. But you got robes, a horse, a crown. Oh, and a parade. Let's have this parade where uh, 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 some official very high up would take him around the city and say, this is what happens to the person who the king wishes to honor. That, yeah, that would be a great reward says Haman. Verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, Excellent. Quickly take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to the Jew Mordecai who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse and robed Mordecai and led him riding through the open square of the city, proclaiming, Thus shall be done for the man whom the king wishes to honor. And this is where the people say, Oh, snap. Right? Like, interesting, it seems, it seems like the king has never seen Haman's original edict about the destruction of the Jewish people. Now remember, when Haman first told him about it, he conveniently left out the name of the group of people that he wanted destroyed. And just think, if Haman hadn't been so eager to have Mordecai impaled first thing in the morning, he wouldn't have been the first person the king saw. The king would have had to come up with some other kind of reward, and it wouldn't have been as elaborate as Haman came up with because he thought it was going to be for him. (laughs) Obviously, he has fantasies of being king himself, right? Royal robe, the horse, the parade, the crown. He's already got the royal ring. The only thing that's left would be the queen, Well, it all backfires on him, and Haman went home extremely embarrassed and depressed. Verse 13, when Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, if Mordecai, before whom your downfall has begun, is of the Jewish people, oh, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman off to the banquet that Esther had prepared. 
Oh, wait, was he Jewish? Asked the wife. Oh, that changes everything. Uh, we didn't know that when we did the whole spiky thing. So yeah, you got no chance, is kind of what they say, right? And then as he gets over that shock, the, the servants come to take him away to banquet with the queen number two. At the royal palace, Queen Esther is sat at a table with, with rich food and the choicest of wines. And the three of them, she, the king, and Haman, are all having a wonderful meal. And it, the king just can't contain himself. i got to know, he says, what is it that you want from me? This is the third time I've asked you. And then she finally shares her heart. Chapter 7, verse 3. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have won your favor, O king, if it pleases the king, let my life be given to me. That's my petition. And the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace. But no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king. Isn't she amazing? Her speech is brilliant. She uses that same wordplay for enslaved and destroyed. These words that sound the same, like like singing a hymn and looking at him, they sound the same, but they're written differently. And the king never saw the written edict. He just heard it. So he was thinking, oh, I'm going to have more slaves, not people being destroyed. And she reminds the king of the edict that he agreed to, which obviously he didn't know the details about. If we were just sold as slaves, no big deal, she says. But we're all going to be destroyed, and that's a huge economic blow to the king. Right? She knows the bottom line. Verse 6, verse 5 and 6. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who has presumed to do this? And Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. As the saying goes, the chickens are now coming home to roost, right? The queen has built up this dramatic tension. It culminates with pointing the finger directly at Haman himself. And Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Yeah, there is the understatement of the day. Verse 7. The king rose from his feast in wrath and went to the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that the king had determined to destroy him. So always quick to try to make the best of any given situation, Haman realizes that he's only got one card left to play. He has to beg for mercy from the queen. The king has decided to take a quick time out. His mom must have told him, you have to count to ten before you do anything rash. Oh, no, wait a minute. We found out what happened last week in chapter one. That wasn't in his uh, arsenal of, of coping mechanisms. Anyway, he goes out of the room to compose himself, and Haman knows this is his one shot. He has to fall on the mercy of the queen. Like, literally, he has to do that. Verse eight. When the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman had thrown himself on the couch where Esther was reclining. And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the words left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. And for once, Haman is being contrite and humble. He's seeking uh, to beg mercy from the queen. But the king walks in as he's going to the couch to try to beg. And thinks the king thinks that he's now trying to accost and assault his wife. And at that moment, Haman's fate is sealed. And Esther doesn't have to say a thing. Verse 9. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs in attendance uh, of the king, said, Oh, look. 
The very gallows that Haman had prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, stands at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And then the anger of the king abated. What goes around comes around, right? The servant's king is just standing there, taking along, looks out the window, sees this seven-story spike, right? Had he just built it maybe like 10 feet tall, they wouldn't have noticed it, right? But because Haman had to make it nice and big, hey, look, why don't we use that? The king says, done, do it. Do not collect go, do not pass go, do not collect $200. This is the end of the line, and Haman is skewered. Now, the book of Esther has all the great components of a telenovela and then some. After Haman's death, the king gets his signet ring back. Remember that any command, any rule can be made, even if the king doesn't make him himself. And what does he do? He gives it away again. This time, of course, he gives it to Mordecai. But still, you wonder, will the king ever learn when it comes to controlling his power? Esther asked the king, please, please take back the purge that has been uh, declared. And the king says, oh, I'm sorry. Once my ring stamps it, it's a done deal. But I gave it to Mordecai. Now he can make another rule. So Mordecai writes an edict saying that on the 13th day of the 12th month, the Jewish people can defend themselves if anyone tries to attack them. And then the celebration that happens after this experience becomes the Jewish festival of Purim. It's derived from the Persian word for casting lots, which is what Haman did when he tried to determine what date should the purge happen. And so every year, our Jewish brothers and sisters celebrate the festival of Purim by reading this story and doing, what do you think? Having a banquet. Having a banquet. And it says, they give, they share their food liberally, especially with the poor. And as we finish the book of Esther, we realize what an amazing heroine we have. Esther maximized every power that she had within the structures of her society and within her royal court. By her charm and beauty, she became queen. She kept her ethnicity hidden per her uncle, her cousin, her father's uh, stepfather's request. She took it upon herself, the dangerous and risky position of approaching the king without permission, but not before she spent some time praying and fasting and inviting her church family to do the same. She waited to make her request to the king until it was just the right time, and she, which allowed Haman enough rope to literally hang himself or skewer himself, and she saved her people from death, destruction, and annihilation. Through the wise words of her adopted father, Mordecai, Esther came to realize that everything that had happened in her life, all the experience that she had had, the life lessons had brought her to the point for just such a time as this. So what about us, friends? What is it that you're currently going through? What challenges, what struggles, what difficulties are on your horizon? You're not exactly sure how you're going to get through it or what you're going to do. How can the story of Esther encourage you for just such a time as this. Isn't it ironic that one of just two books in the Bible that never specifically mention God are so filled with God moments? That's my prayer for each of us, that we might be able to recognize those God moments in our lives, that that we would draw close to God and to this community in prayer, and that we might come to trust that God is working for good in our lives, in the world, in our nation even when it doesn't seem like that's happening for just such a time as this. Thanks be to God for the story of Esther, for the challenge that we have to look at life 
differently. Amen. Thank you.